Hi there listeners. Welcome to episode 125 of Never on the Backfoot podcast. On the podcast today joining me is Abhishek Mukherjee. Abhishek da as he is fondly referred to dons multiple hats of being a cricket historian. analyst and writer he was the chief editor of cricket country and an assistant editor of wisden india almanac he has written for many other cricket publications follow him on twitter at obishek42 for some amazing insights and observations on cricket without further ado let's hop on to understand more about his journey hi sir Welcome to the podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here and really looking forward to the discussion ahead. Same here. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, what got you first interested in the game, sir? You can talk about yourself as a cricket fan and also about some of your early memories of the sport. And I I really don't have memories of the 1983 World Cup. I have I mean uh, I have heard from my parents that everyone was celebrating people came out on the road there was also a power cut or some sort of thing but yeah I mean uh, uh, the my first memories were from 1984 and in early 1985 uh, Mohammad Azruddin's uh, test debut that was also my test debut at the venue but uh, by then by that time 85 86 I had been uh, reading cricket books from getting somehow getting a access to them in libraries in roadside bookshops in those days you could rent books that concept i think is gone so yeah i mean by the 19 and uh, remember the, the 1987 world cup was played in india and there was an enormous hype uh, around it. so whoever of my age was not converted to cricket by 1987 i mean became a convert by the by the world cup right and uh, how is it you know like for you to play cricket in school or even childhood for that matter and what are some of your fondest memories of the same playing cricket uh, i am not a what do you call a great cricketer but yeah, i we played cricket mostly for fun our school didn't have a playground so they took us to a nearby playground but uh, you know it was mostly playing cricket in parks in uh, gully cricket and uh, sort of after that in college in, i mean uh, we played cricket mostly for fun it was never serious cricket right and uh, who is your favorite cricketer this can be male or female growing up and who is it currently it was difficult very difficult to find a female favorite cricketer growing up because there was problems hmm. so uh, you would uh, if you knew the indian team was playing if somehow you knew because since there were no there was no coverage you would never get to know whether the indian team was playing if you somehow knew the indian team was playing somewhere on this planet so you would have to skim through newspapers look for maybe a two line report tucked somewhere uh, in uh, not even the back page the back page used to be mostly covered by male sports mm-hmm. maybe this page just before the back page so uh by the early 90s uh neetu david he uh and uh, there were sports stars okay? and there uh, there were some newspapers who published pictures so that was a novelty so neetu david became an, uh, one of my early favorites in the 90 in the 1990s 
But before that, uh, 1980s male cricketers were obviously the ones who followed because there was uh, little of because following female cricket was not an option. So at that point, my early favorites: Azizuddin, Dilip Vinsarkar, Raman Lamba, Chetan Sharma. So that was the best. And then uh, uh, by the uh, second half of the 1980s, uh, we figured out what Kapil Dev was. Hmm. Watching Kapil Dev was going through a low in his career, and Gavaskar's career was approaching an end. Hmm. And Kapil and the, the newspapers were full of Kapil Gavaskar clashes. So it was not, I mean, it was uh, for someone new to cricket, it was difficult to like. I mean, like one of them takes sides. It was only after a few years that uh, Gavaskar and Kapil Dev grew on you. Right. And if you also had to look back and recollect on uh, some of your favorite matches of all time, what comes right at the top of your head? Okay. Uh, so uh, 1986, uh, See, there have been only two tie tests in history, and I witnessed, and I, one of them happened in my lifetime. So that is still my most favorite cricketing memory. Uh, I came back from school. The match was approaching an end, and I, I had heard vaguely. I was uh, I was very young then, but I had heard vaguely that there had been a tie test somewhere in the past. I had no clue who the players in that tie test were. were. But now this one I was watching live, and India, uh, India came out. The Indian innings started on day five, uh, and India had to chase three forty-eight. So this is this was almost baseball. Uh, no, uh, no team. I mean, chasing three forty-eight in the last day of a match. No team, almost no team attempted that. But India went for it, and Gavaskar often called out for defensive batting. Gavaskar led the charge. He scored ninety. And then everyone considered it. I mean, by the time the last over came, I mean, it was already a, a remarkable match. But yeah, I mean, I actually saw a tied test match. I think can beat that. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, just moving to another new format like IPL, right? So are you like a purist and uh, do you, like which IPL team do you follow and any particular reason for the same? Uh, uh, Rajasthan Royals. I'll tell you why. I mean, I followed the first auction in, I mean, uh, everyone followed the first auction, I think. I mean, it was the mm -hmm. first auction. I mean, I'd never seen a cricket auction. Uh, try to understand this. I mean, from someone who has seen the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, how can cricketers be auctioned? It came, it came as a huge shock. I mean, these are, you know, I mean, what? Sachin Tendulkar, you're calling, them God, calling him God. And then there were others, I mean, the captain of the Indian cricket team, M.S. Dhoni. Then there were other huge names. And these people are being auctioned. So, I mean, it was a sort of cultural shock. But then I realized, and then I realized what this team, Rajasthan Royals, what are they doing? They got a cricketer who had retired a year ago. And they asked him to ask him to lead and to coach. They didn't have a separate coach. And one was both captain and coach. And they picked some very random cricketers. Mm -hmm. So Sudhat Trivedi, Sopnil Aslodkar. Who were these people? Then, uh, and uh, remember, internet was also, uh, I mean, it, it was not as 
informative as it is right now. And social media was in its, um, I mean, we were still using Orkut. Hmm. So I had no clue who half the players were. Kamran Akhal, I mean, Graham Smith, I knew who, I mean, Graham Smith in 2008 was establishing himself as a captain, but they did not make Smith captain. They made Warren captain. Hmm. And then uh, they were uh, Munaf Patel. And uh, so it seemed a team doomed, destined to lose. It made no sense, the option. And then as the tournament went on, that was when I realized that the players we used to think were good. I mean, were not necessarily good for all formats. A test, a success, a success in Test cricket or One Day Internationals does not guarantee T20 success. So slowly, I started to realize um, that T20 is a is is a is more different. Is a format more different from the other formats than I used to think, than I initially thought. So and that realization came with the. Rajasthan Royals auctions and Rajasthan Royals approach towards the game in the first season. I learned a, a, a lot about T20 cricket just by watching them play. And I was always a Shane Warne fan, so that caught on. Mm -hmm. And I've always supported Rajasthan Royals since then. For the two seasons they were not there, I, for no reason, I supported the new, the Pune franchise that filled in. I had no reason to do that. That's just <laughs> random. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, another question would be, how is it, you know, like watching cricket during the 80s, 90s and the early 2000s? Do you have any experiences, anecdotes to share? And like, do you see like this whole uh, contrast with the way cricket is played now? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, let me tell you something. If you watch the uh, 1980s, 80s match, the first thing you'll struggle with, especially in India, if the match was uh, shown on Durgarshan, uh, you would find it very difficult to spot the ball. Hmm. So, first of all, the camera, the quality was so bad that we often <laughs> used, we failed to spot the ball. We just had to believe what the umpire, what the commentator said. And if it was, say, a shot that went to the boundary, the camera didn't necessarily follow the ball. It just stood, just stood there. It focused on the pitch. So we had to take the commentator's word that it was a four. So that was how we grew up. And uh, half the overs, instead of two cameras at both ends, they often had cameras at one end. So half the overs you saw from behind the batter. So that was another experience that is difficult to explain. So that is just the just what just what we saw when we saw hmm. until 1994 we never got to see a test match outside asia live um, oh. there was one channel and uh, that had everything so cricket if the uh, cricket would often be stopped for news and uh, it might for news is still relevant i mean if some politician inaugurated, uh, say, a uh, university or a factory, mm -hmm. cricket would be, cricket tele, live cricket telecast would be stopped for that. There was one channel. Mm -hmm. It is what, it was what it was. So that was how we followed cricket. It was, I mean, 
it was completely different but there but there but radio used to be big and uh, yeah radio used to be big and tv also since it was doordarshan it was i mean it, it was uh, i don't even know how to explain this there were tv antennas okay not the not the dishes you see these days Mm-hmm. There were TV antennas, and so you needed two people to watch a match in, in during rain or some weather disturbance. Someone used to had to climb to, <laughs> to the terrace and fix the antenna's direction, and the other person used to yell, "Okay, the reception is right now!" And then the other person came down. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we did random things. For example, the 1992 World Cup mm-hmm. was not telecast in India. We got to see only the India matches. and the semi final and final but bangladesh showed all the matches they were not even playing the world cup oh so how did we know this we we went to the terrace since mm-hmm. i live in kolkata and kolkata and people who live in kolkata could pick up signals from bangladesh oh so if you turned the tv antenna to a certain angle you could pick pick up bangladesh television <laughs> i am not making this up it wow. really happened and that is how we watched some matches of the 1992 world cup oh i mean now it must be so different right and even like i just this is just a random question like even when you look at the commentary now right do you feel the commentary back then was better the radio commentary versus what we see now on tv here now on tv radio commentary and tv commentary are totally different radio in radio uh you have you had they had to tell us what happened hmm. so if it's a power drive that went to the boundary they would have to tell us that here they don't have to tell us hmm. we can see they have to add to what we are seeing it's a totally it's a totally different kind of commentary which is why i'm not very comfortable with commentators who actually describe that uh Uh, it's a beautiful shot that went, <laughs> that bisected uh, cover and point and went to the boundary. I can see that. Why would you tell me that? Tell me what I did, couldn't see. Tell me how he played that. But then there used to be uh, <laughs> good. There used to be good commentators then, and there is there are good commentators now. Mm-hmm. And there used to be ordinary commentators then, and there are ordinary commentators. No. <laughs> different yeah. brands of bad but bad <laughs> right and uh, you know let's just uh, uh, take the interview to something about your career as well so at the moment you are a columnist a translator data analyst consultant so many uh, roles you've done so do you enjoy what you do thoroughly i get paid to watch cricket hmm so i can't really complain <laughs> but at the end of the day other people are uh, probably stealing time from office work to cast a glance at the live score or maybe catch five minutes of streaming at the office cafeteria i do this i can do this as part of my day job so yeah i can't really complain i mean there are ups there are ups and downs as in as as is true with every career but uh, yeah i mean uh, you can understand i mean uh, a lot of people i mean i 
could have been in a better place, but a lot of people would have loved to be in my place, to be in this profession, to watch cricket, to be able to watch cricket on office time. <laughs> and what really fascinated me about you is the fact that you're a cricket historian. I think in India, we do not have a lot of cricket historians. So what is it like to, you know, uh, look at cricket so differently and be like a reservoir of information and just know so much? Uh, I think this started sometime around the 1980s. So essentially, when I started watching cricket, it was between the 1983 and 1987 World Cups. So as I told you, when I started watching, India were the defending world champions. So, and uh, there was information around those cricketers everywhere. Hmm. And with more information, as, as this happened, I wanted to know more. I mean, who, say, Roger Binney was, who Shrikant was, who Mohindra was. And then I realized, learned that Mohindra father also played for India. He was the first to score a test 100, first to score a test 100 for India. Uh, Roger Binney was an anglo Indian. Uh, then, so who were the others? Hmm. Well, how were, what were, what, who was Lala Amarna? Who was, I mean, then I started to realize that, uh, okay, uh, I see in the, this, this Indian side has a lot of seam bowlers, but India, and we are told about your spinners. So, what happened in between? Why did India become a country of spinners? What happened to the seam bowlers? Why are there so many seam bowlers now? Hmm. And slowly the interest grew. And the moment you start hearing in the, being told that uh, you know, what spinners, who were these spinners? Hmm. So who was Vishwamitri? Who was Sunrishita? And then you got get to know about India's been at the Oval in 1971. And then India's other famous wins. And then you uh, once that happens, uh, you start becoming inquisitive about. Australia, England, and then you hear names like Bradman. Hmm. Who was Bradman? And that average is phenomenal. So, how did he win in such an average? What did he do in his, uh, in his career? The, the number seems unreal. Did he really do all this? So, basically, uh, one thing led, kept leading to another. And then there were the West Indians, of course, the champions of the era. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was a different kind of uh, attraction. Half the stories of the era were about the Indians. A chunk of the other half were about the West Indian players. Hmm. They were the superstars of world cricket at that time. So, yeah, I mean, the West Indian history, again, is uh, fascinating. And then again, uh, once that happens, over time, I started realizing that the history of cricket is not just uh, the history of cricket. It mirrors the history of society, of politics, of mm. culture, everything. And then it's, I don't know, by the time, I mean, by the 2000s, uh, the internet was everywhere and then, and you could get books more easily than before as the online retail shops started. Okay. Yeah, I mean, interest grew. Right, and uh, we are lucky, uh, thanks to the internet, we get to see some of your very insightful tweets, you know, about the history of cricket, which is like, you know, very, uh, which is, which is amazing, right? 
Now, we've also seen how uh, you have always liked numbers. You also have an affinity for numbers and statistics. So, uh, like, has your affinity for numbers also translated to, you know, looking at numbers in cricket in a different manner and just presenting it out there? Uh, see, first thing is, I used to... Okay, I know this sounds strange, may sound strange. I used to buy those score books oh. and I used to score live matches on oh. that they showed on TV. Mm-hmm. So I did this when I was say nine, ten. So I think uh, I, without realizing, I, without realizing that I was into numbers, I was into numbers. I was into cricket numbers. Mm-hmm. And then the see a lot of uh, see. Then I took to, and then I, I, I mean, I did my degree in statistics. Mm-hmm which helped me understand numbers in a way that I had never done before. And then I realized that uh, the, well, what we understand by numbers in cricket has, and now I realized this, that what we understand by numbers in cricket, and we often hear the thing, numbers don't mean anything. Hmm. So uh, the, the problem with that is, what we used to understand by cricket in the 1850s, basically the scorecard, which is the name of the batter, how they were out, balls, at most minutes, runs, four, sixes. That can't be true in 2022 as well, right? Hmm. And data has become more sophisticated, but we are presented the same old kind of brand of scorecard. They didn't, there was no uh, balls faced in the earlier matches, but the rest of the same. Bowling figures still have overs, maidens, runs, wickets. At most, wives and no balls. But that is the way they used to present scoreboards in the 1850s. Mm. Why would they, why would a 2022 people be presented that kind of data? And of course, if they uh, are presented that kind of data, they will say numbers don't mean anything. Because there are a lot more, there, there is a lot more data that's not being presented to us. Mm. And that thing, that needs to happen. And that is one of my pet peeves that we are shown incomplete, inadequate data and are being told that numbers don't mean anything. Exactly. That is uh, definitely a very unique perspective to look at, look at numbers. No, uh, yeah. honestly, look at, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Look at the scoreboard of the first test match, first ever test match, 1877. And look huh. at the scoreboard of the 2022 test match at Edgbaston uh, that just got over. <laughs> just the scoreboard, just the scorecards, mm. the format of the scorecards, they are the same. That should not have happened. Mm. We are collecting ball by ball data. We now have TV footage for every match. Why will the scorecard be the same? look the same? Mm. We are, we are not being presented enough data on every scorecard. Right, that is true. But uh, do you have any other alternative method where data can be presented better so you know the fans can actually uh, crunch these numbers and make sense out of it? Of course, I mean, there's ball-by-ball data available. I mean, um, it is not available for free, but it is available. Hmm. And uh, it, is, it takes some hard work to... Uh, but uh, sites, websites can compile that. See, essentially, the advantage of the, in the, in the com- advantage of computers is enormous. One of them is in print. 
you had only a fixed uh, what you call the what do you say fixed space for a scorecard hmm. you could, could not exceed it. now you present a scorecard and you can click on anything so if if there is a scorecard and if you want ball by ball you can click and go to ball by ball hmm. if you want a wagon wheel you should be able to go to a wagon wheel for a particular pattern you should go be able to find the manhattan Exactly. You should be able to find the head-to-head -head for every batter and bowler. Right, and now even with tools like Stats Guru, Crick Metric, Crick was also presenting data. Do you think it has kind of revolutionized the way cricket is perceived in a way? Absolutely, absolutely. Every cricket team has an analyst these days. Because see, earlier what used to happen, you knew that uh, this. Uh, batter is good against left arm spinners mm. this batter is bad against uh, fast bowling okay suppose there are two such batters which one would you choose against a fast bowling attack this person is okay both are weak against fast bowling mm. but which one is worse how do you know that without data and data doesn't mean how many how many runs they have scored because one person may have, might have faced found fast bowling on on bounce pitches. The other person might have faced fast bowling on uh, flat pitches. Hmm. So that breakdown and uh, bouncy uh, bouncy and flat pitches are both uh, numbers essentially, right? Hmm. Bounce can be bounce is a number. Hardness of pitch essentially. Or the uh, if you don't uh, want to do that, you can just see. How much the ball has risen after? How much the ball has? Uh, how much lift the ball has produced after bouncing? Mm. The average lift. That is bounce. So yeah, I mean uh, that data is available. That is Hawkeye data. Hawkeye mm. can spot that. Hawkeye can spot bounce. So all this is data, uh, and people are and top analysts work with these data. Hmm. And uh, by when I say analysts, I don't just mean uh, organizations that uh, put up statistical pieces. I mean the teams as well. Hmm. Teams have these data. These days, a couple, a few years ago, they were doing a research that bats will come with chips. Oh. That will tell you how many balls they will, the a batter misses, or a batter middles, or hmm. edges. So oh, yeah. anyone sitting anywhere in the world without watching that person back will know how what the percentage that that person has middle that day. Whoa, okay. Imagine how that will affect selection. <laughs> it could have a big say actually. And considering yeah, I mean so if, hmm. if uh, someone has scored 23. And someone has scored 25, but the 25 included five boundaries of edges. Hmm. I mean, there's something we often don't get to see. Well, suppose it's a run match and we are getting to see only the scorecard. Hmm. You know, we, we are not told and, uh, that the person scored 23 actually batted better, but because the person who scored 25 had five boundaries of edges. Uh, we, are not, uh, we will think that the person who scored 25 was better. better and then say that numbers don't mean anything. But actually, if you track, the, if you capture the right numbers, 
you capture how many edges the how many times the person has uh, people have etched numbers do mean things they do yeah and uh, considering you know you uh, can use data in this way in the future can we see you work with possibly the indian team or say an ipl franchise <laughs> to help them out <laughs> no 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 they have they, it's a call they have to be <laughs> but would you be open if someone did offer you of course why not it's good money <laughs> yeah right and uh, you've also you know previously been editor in chief and chief editor at cricketnews.com and cricket country you've also been a freelance contributor to a plethora of websites so how have those experiences been like for you and uh, work life balance was fine while working there not during ipl but oh, okay uh, otherwise ipl months are really really crazy hmm it seems they seem fun if you are not part of the system but if you are you lose uh after the first cipl is typically a two month thing after the first 20 days you just go through the motions for the next 20 days and in the last 20 days uh, things pick up but yeah your sleep cycle changes everything changes hmm. during the ipl right and uh, considering how the ipl is also planning to expand into a bigger window it's probably going to get way more stressful for the journalists to right yes. to cover the matches yes even one of the things that really get to me is the pre- the presentation ceremony after the final hey <laughs> hey i mean <laughs> you know i've not heard a single journalist who is happy about that mm. it goes on and on in fact after every match the matches get over at midnight and mm. then there is about at least 15 minutes before the presentation ceremony starts and then there are about 10 awards <laughs> those ten awards sometimes do seem uh, inconsequential as well but uh, you know talking about your uh, stint at the international cricket council the icc you've also been a freelance uh, translator so how was that experience like i'm really curious oh they uh, launched a bangla section oh so i translated their content in so i uh, was uh, working for that bangla team hmm so i produced bangla content during the 2018 uh, women's t20 world cup and the 2019 men's 50 over world cup oh so it was essentially the same content but in bangla okay so it was probably an experiment they were trying out hmm. let's see i also did some bangla blogs and was typically trying to do some bangla content during my days at cricket country hmm right and uh, you've also been a former assistant editor at wisden india almanac so how would you rate that experience and do you have any tangible learning experiences to delve on uh wisden's editorial standards are very really high hmm and uh, yeah i mean it was great great working with some of the big names and the work ethics is incredible and wisdom in the almanac uh, does uh, a tremendous work of covering indian domestic cricket hmm. so uh, yeah i mean uh, in, i mean in the internet era it is difficult to it is difficult for a print almanac to produce extra perspective but they do that hmm. 
And it, as I said, it, was, it is always nice to be part of this gym. It's always a great experience. Right. Ever since I was a kid too, I've always been a fan of Wisden. You know, the almanac that comes annually is something I really look forward to as well. So Wisden India too is doing a really good job there. Uh, you know, I've been following their work too. And uh, another question is, you know, like many uh, authors and writers have like this writing process. So could you delve on your writing processes and the whole technique that goes behind it? I try to tell people what they haven't seen. Uh, if I'm writing a match report, I try to tell them what they haven't seen. Hmm. So anyone can tell what, I mean, it is, uh, if someone has seen the match and if the uh, highlights package is available to them at any point of time on a mobile device, I mean, they can uh, watch the highlights on a local chain. Why do they read my report? And, and unless I can give them something extra, some extra insight. So I try to bring that up. I mean, it is very important to respect the reader. Exactly. And if, you tell, yeah. if you tell the reader what they have already seen, they're not going to read. Hmm. So that is something I've always tried to tell Right. And, you know, talking about perspectives as well, uh, you are the co-author of Sachin and Azhar at Cape Town, India and South Africa cricket through the prism of a partnership. Now, I found it really fascinating that, you know, you are looking at like Indian and South Africa cricket through that specific partnership. So could you talk uh, more about your book for our listeners? Okay. First of all, it's a special partnership. Hmm. We saw a 222 run partnership at Weston. That then partnership. Uh, let me tell you, in the first test match, India was bowled out for 100 in the first innings hmm. and 66 in the second innings. They were nowhere, they were blown away. In the second test match, after uh, South Africa scored 529, India were 58 for 5. So they have scored, they had scored 100, 66, and 58 for 5. That is 224 runs for the loss of 15 wickets. Hmm. If for the loss of 25 weeks until that point. And then Tendulkar and Azuruddin added 222 runs in 40 years. Wow. It was, uh, if you watch the highlights, you see Robin Jackman say, this is cricket, this is cricket like the kind I've never seen before. And this holds for me to this day. I've never seen batting in test cricket like that. Because when you think of partnerships, you see attack at, from one end and a support and support from others, hmm. from the other end. Or uh, maybe consolidation from both ends before both uh, start to hit. But this was from ball one of the partnership hitting at both ends and against a very good bowling attack. Hmm. And what added to this was um, the first couple of overs or something, they went peacefully. And then the teams broke for lunch. Hmm. And after lunch, at lunch, Nelson Mandela came to oh. meet the Indian team. As if to put up a show for Mandela, they, they just, I mean, it is impossible to describe that. I mean, it's much easier if you watch the highlights. And Nutter hmm. was still playing, what do you, what do you say, uh, authentic cricket shot. Other thing was playing. Just playing shots out of nowhere, shots that never do not exist. Hmm. Just playing shots. Uh, I mean, you couldn't be so just think of 
towards the end of the spell, Alan Donner gave a look at Azhar. With, I mean, you could see the look on his face. You could see that, okay, I give up kind of look. So it was an incredible partnership, but that was not it. This was, uh, this was in the mid-1990s. Hmm. Five years before that, South Africa came out of their uh, ban, hmm. apartheid ban. Yeah. In 1991, in the same year, India uh, launched their uh, new economic, global economic policy. India hmm. opened, became an open market. Hmm. And the both and both nations grew together. So unlike England and Australia and West Indies were already established, India and South Africa really grew as cricketing powers in the 1990s. Hmm. Um, India more, uh, I mean, as much on field, as much uh, off the field, because um, it was around this point that BCCI had figured out, was figuring out the importance of live television, cricket on live television. Uh, did you know that until a point, until the 80s, BCCI even paid Durudarshan to cover matches? Whoa, I didn't know that. <laughs> ah, so, the BCCI's first revenue came when South Africa toured India in 1990. That was the first time BCCI made money. Hmm. So, yeah. And uh, India grew, I mean, as uh, India's economy changed and uh, Indian fans got to see the Indian team because there was no satellite television before the 1990s. So satellite television grew more and more cricketers, more and more fans got to see the cricketers. At the same time, hmm. South Africa became a more inclusive society. And India and South Africa throughout the 1990s played some fascinating cricket matches. This was just one of them, and you'll you'll find if you cover if you go through the matches in 1990s hmm. that uh, the two teams keep kept bumping into each other, ah. kept getting invited by each other. So India so India became the first team to host South Africa after their ban. India became the first team to tour South Africa after their ban, hmm. and then South Africa came over to India in 1993 for the. Uh, for a for CAB's Golden Jubilee Tournament, hmm. and that was actually a very complicated. Uh, that, 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 that is a long story. I mean, about TD rights and TWI versus Durudarshan legal battles. Uh, Ali Bakar threatened that he would withdraw South Africa's support for India in the 1996 World Cup and. Everything. I mean, it reached a stage when Nelson Mandela was. They almost reached out to Nelson Mandela and talked to the Indian PM. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, India and South Africa were uh, uh, were. Uh, I mean, kept bumping into each other on and off the field. But India South Africa are, have a fascinating relationship even before. Essentially, uh, see when Mandela Mandela was honored with the Bharat one of uh, two. Non-Indians to see your yes. As we know that uh, Gandhi's career as an activist began in South Africa about a hundred years before the match. I mean, the match in Cape Town took place, hmm. and uh, Gandhi was there uh, one. And before that, see, 
the south african society and the apartheid era was uh, segregated into whites and non whites but even in the non whites uh but uh, indigenous blacks and the indians were not uh, not necessarily on cordial terms and uh, indians had been had uh, been shipped to south africa to work in back in 1860 so the south africa the history of south africa has a significant indian component to it so two countries that had been interlinked for years through indian expatriates through gandhi through mandela through various attempts i mean uh, when south africa left the commonwealth in 1961 they should ideally have been uh, banned from playing test matches but the icc let them stay on Hmm. and india voted against it in 1974 when uh, apartheid south africa was basically ostracized by most india got the chance to play in the davis cup final in south africa india had never won the davis cup until then but india gave a walkover in the final of the davis cup oh. they they would rather not choose they would rather not tour south africa oh they would not step uh, they would not play in an uh, in an apartheid country hmm. they would rather give a walk over in 1992 india had a very strong stance against apartheid in 1992 when india's first the first indian squad went to south africa some of their passports contained the the words valid in all countries except the republic of south africa oh so the so essentially that was the situation and yet the moments of india as south africa changed their stance on apartheid the apartheid era ended india was the first to welcome them back so india and south africa are more connected throughout history than we usually think i think that needed to be told as well apart from the match and that is what we try to do fair enough and uh, you know considering this <laughs> backdrop and the strong sentiment that you have were there other factors that kind of inspired you to write the book the the, the this to apart from the non cricketing factor the quality of batting deserved the book hmm. there have been uh, that is one thing and the other thing is there is very little documentation on this series probably because I, the way and this is my reason. i mean a lot of coverage was there for the 92 series hmm. but 96 series almost no media house sent a journalist and that happened because this was a, a little pocket of time where print journalists print journalism was slowly given way to web journalism hmm. and this was caught in between the two meetups Oh. so there is there is a coverage all the more reason that the story of this partnership needed to be told and this was a phenomenal partnership to begin with and uh, you know how is it like you know writing this i believe being your first book and working with your co-author for the same yeah he lives in netherlands so we collaborated on using a google doc and we wrote in 15 days flat <laughs> so it is uh, we were simultaneously writing the book on the same document uh, thank goodness for technology hmm. otherwise this book would never have been written uh, we wrote this during the lockdown of 2020 oh 
this book would never have been written had there been no internet exactly <laughs> thanks to the marvel of technology yeah now are there any learning uh, learnings while, while writing the book that you would like to talk about that uh, probably that i am probably my harshest critic it is probably easier to make readers happy than to make myself happy i'm not uh, at this point when i look back at the book i think that it could have been a better job oh. <laughs> okay and honestly if i wrote a book now it would have been a better book and if i suppose and if i wrote a book now in 2022 it could have been a better book and i know that if i write a book in 2020 if i look back at the 2022 book in 2025 hmm. i'll feel, feel the same and i would want to write it again <laughs> it is a it is a never ending process or is it just the self critical part of you you know just looking at it that way maybe that is also true but uh, yeah i mean i look at some of my old pieces as well on the published on uh, many sites and i often cringe <laughs> okay that is uh, a very honest uh, take away and uh, in the future do we will we see you pen uh, more books i already as publishers <laughs> were not interested and then randomly pitched it to a british publisher oh british publisher and they they accepted it <laughs> i mean you okay. think a book on india cricket could impress indian publishers more but then again uh, one must remember that uh, uh, business uh, definitions changed a lot during the lockdown hmm. so yeah right and uh, how much research did you you know need to do for your book and uh, roughly how long did it take like you did talk about taking 15 days so how much how many hours did you spend no no 15 days 15 days 15 days oh my god okay <laughs> okay since two people were working at the same time we can hmm. put it as one month okay. because 15 days and two people hmm. so 30 fair enough but uh, the research was uh, most of the research was already done so hmm. it was just about the writing Okay, and uh, what was the hardest part of your book to write, and any particular reason why? To make the readers understand uh, what Azharuddin was in the nineteen nineties, because Tendulkar it's easy to explain. The career is so see, imposing. The career is so vast. Tendulkar automatically, very uh, good. I mean, the, just the numbers, the achievements we can respect. Azharuddin is, Azharuddin is uh, sort of difficult to explain to someone who has not seen him live. The numbers are decent but not great. So not just the artistry of batting, not just 
Azruddin, the person's image. Uh, he was, this was a very, um, what do you say? It was a, every Azruddin fan knew that he was not, not the best batter of the side. They would have, but uh, then again, he was not the greatest cricketer in history. But none of the greatest cricketers, none of the greatest cricketer contenders was an Azruti. Hmm. The image of the person probably exceeds that of the man. There was a lot of controversy. Some, most of these, we had been cleared off. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll tell you something. Huh? I mentioned this in the book as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Just before this tour, there was a match being played and there was a wrong dismissal. Uh, India against Australia and Bangalore and the Bangalore crowd erupted. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a crowd disturbance that held up play. Tendulkar was the Indian captain. He, did, he was not the one to step out to stop the crowd. Anil Kumble was a local. He was not the one to step out. Asiruddin stepped out. He was recently sacked from captaincy. There was a huge controversy regarding his personal life, his marriage, and everything. There were rumors of Azhar Tendulkar, uh, Azhar Tendulkar, uh, of Azhar Tendulkar with everything. Azhar stepped out, asked the crowd, uh, stepped out, walk, uh, walked along the boundary line hmm. inside the ground, and just passed the crowd to come down, and it worked. It was a different concept. It, he was different. It is very difficult to explain how. Because he did not come across as someone like that. A shy, reserved person. He did not come across as someone like that. Hmm. But there was something about the man. Uh, just before, uh, in South Africa were touring India. In 1996, as India had lost the semi-final, the Eden Barons crowd had uh, turned violent. Oh. And Azhar had it, and the match had to be called off. Sri Lanka were given the match. I mean, they were given a sort of concession. Hmm. The match referee award rewarded the match to Sri Lanka. Hmm. Eden, Gard Eden Gardens is a ground where Azhar had always scored runs. Always, always scored runs. Hmm. Later, he came out. <laughs> that later that year, he played South Africa. And uh, in the, in the Eden Gardens crowd hated him by, uh, by this point uh, after the semi-finals and they didn't forget what Azhar had done. And Azhar didn't forget their attitude as well. They, they had thrown bottles, everything. On the ground, they had booed Azhar. Azhar was hit on the hand. He had to retire. Mm. It, in the, India were fighting to save the follow-on mm. and he came out again. In, uh, in Anil Kumble was batting at the other end, Azhar came out and he scored the fastest 100 by an India. Wow. Uh, in this included five consecutive fours of Lance Kuzner. The Eden Garden crowd went wild, they cheered, and Azhar uh, reached the 100 in 78 balls, I think, and he did not reach his back because he had not forgotten. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just went on hitting. Oh. It was a yeah. different, I mean, the crowd was going wild and <laughs> probably they expected an acknowledgement from Azhar, but he was not going to give them that. Hmm. Three years later, uh, two, uh, this was yeah, early 1998, this was uh, one year later, 
Azhar suddenly Azhar had never scored a double hundred. His high score was 199. Hmm. A year later, he was on 163, I think. Batting, India were leading by 400. He, the way he was batting, he would have taken another 20 minutes to get that double hundred. Had he been got against Australia and declared. So, <laughs> a very strange character. In his last test match, hmm. Which was also 99. He scored 100. Oh. And then he never played again. Right. Uh, was this also the same time he got caught up in the whole uh, match fixing and yes, uh, yes, controversy? Yes. Azhar and Prani, again, again, another, another occasion when India and South Africa became linked together. Azhar and Prani and their teammates, it all surfaced after the South Africa tour of India. Hmm. Uh, it's funny how these teams kept bumping into each other. Two years later, the entire Mike Dennis thing, India were in South Africa. India, the, uh, India created history by winning the first ever T20 World Cup. That was in South Africa. Hmm. Two years later, uh, the IPL had to be shifted from India uh, because of because it clashed with the elections, Lok Sabha elections, and uh, the government couldn't produce uh, provide security for both the elections and the IPL. They coincided, so the IPL had to be shifted out out of India. Mm. Where it, where was it moved to South Africa? South Africa. <laughs> so, they just kept and uh, five six years later, they named the trophy after two men who had nothing, who had very little to do with it. Mm. Gandhi Mandela. So, mm. It's a testimony to the history of the two countries. Absolutely. You know, the rich history will uh, has definitely been reflected in the book. And I'm sure the listeners uh, will be, you know, uh, <laughs> very excited to uh, pick the book. But uh, let's also, you know, take the interview and focus on some opinion-based uh, questions as well. So now considering, you know, you have watched the growth of Indian cricket for such a long period of time. You've watched Indian cricket for so long. How would you rate the growth? Now, I'm not looking at a particular time span, but if you had to like put a, a time period to this and look at it from that lens... What are your thoughts? Uh, this is the best Indian test team I've seen. Okay. Uh, essentially, because this and this shift happened um, five, six years ago when uh, Kohli put uh, a stress on two things. First, he needed fast bowlers. And second, he would play five bowlers. Hmm. So, essentially... To win a test match, one basic criteria is you need to take 20 wickets. And for that, your bowling has to be the strongest. Earlier Indian cricket teams were batting teams, essentially. Batting teams with some bowlers. Um, Kohli changed that. The Kohli Shastri era changed that. That is something I very strongly feel. The mm -hmm. emphasis was on bowling for the first time, even if it came at the cost of batting. Even if it may, meant playing one batter fewer, even if it meant uh, going in with a very long tail, there was the occasional defeat. There was the occasional 36 all out, 78 all out. But it almost always meant taking 20 wickets. And taking 20 wickets is, I mean, you can't win a test match without taking 20 wickets. Hmm. You can score thousands of runs, but you have to take 20 wickets. And this was the first team that went, that took field 
with the uh, with focus on taking candidates. So that is what makes the impression. Exactly, you know, under the Kohli Shastri era, we saw how uh, they literally revolutionized the way uh, Test cricket is seen in India. And uh, what are your thoughts on Test cricket now? Will it last the test of time, considering the growing impact of T Twenty cricket, shorter formats, and how you know the uh, audience is probably the spectators are probably just losing patience over how long games are. uh it will uh, last if it is uh, i think they are i think it is a nice thing by getting the world test championship i am not saying that it increase the quality of cricket or uh, whether the it's a perfect tournament but at least it gave test matches not involving the major teams some perspective hmm. so it should have been something like this should have been done years ago right exactly and on the same line of thought do you think even the women's game uh, deserves more tests have a world test championship type of competition and what are some of the major reforms too that you would like to see in the women's game <laughs> i know it's a loaded question but thoughts more money hmm. more money more matches more money and uh, uh, my emphasis is on more money because it is more important for women it is extremely important for women to be financially independent especially in a country like india to ensure they produce the best cricket to ensure they devote they can devote as much time as is needed to be a professional in a country like india that is very important so there has to be enough money for them to be financially independent the contracts have to be that good and they are not that good at this point maybe they are for about uh, 10 cricketers in the entire country but that is not going to be enough absolutely and talking about money do you think uh, you know the women's ipl is the way to go ahead for women's cricket and most absolutely. importantly the indian game too absolutely the more the more uh, it is simple the more people will be drawn towards a profession where there is more money hmm this holds up across professions there is no doubt about this why do you think why do you think there are so there was sudden rush for doctors and engineers the moment uh, parents start realizing that there's money in playing cricket there will be there will be there will be a rush hmm. it is inevitable right and uh, you know besides uh, men's cricket that's obviously thriving we also have uh, other sections to focus on right we have the associate uh, nations playing so how do you think the icc can you know make it a better uh, space for them you know just make it more inclusive give them more tours do you have any uh, thoughts about this make it a rule for every team touring england to make it compulsory to play at least one match In each of Ireland, Scotland, and Netherlands, India they played a couple of T20s. Now yeah, that won't be a what if India played. If India could play a tour match at most Test cricket, why would you need to play tour match at Test cricket? Instead, play a Test match in style. Hmm. A team touring India can play a match against Afghanistan. Afghanistan and Ireland, by the way, are not associate nations. Hmm. And um, then again, 
uh, if a team, suppose Australia are doing India, why won't we make it compulsory for Australia to play one T20 match? I'm not asking for a lot, lot. One T20 match in Nepal. Hmm. So this can is this can be done just one day to a team doing South Africa should be playing a match in Namibia. Hmm. So identify these groups and uh, plan matches accordingly. Identify these geographical zones and plan matches accordingly. And if yeah. if India if India if Australia towards Nepal, of course Nepal cricket will be benefit benefit both mm-hmm. from the revenue and from the quality of cricket. If these teams keep touring uh, the association, of course they will benefit. And uh, as things stand currently, the top teams keep playing the top teams, the full members keep playing the full members, and that too even not even all of them. Mm-hmm. And the associations keep playing the association. That is not how you do. There should be matches between the two groups. Exactly. And, you know, considering cricket calls itself uh, a global sport, it is important to make it an inclusive space to have, uh, yes. you know, otherwise the, <laughs> otherwise the gap between the two groups will never decrease. Hmm. That's very I mean, true. Bhutan yeah. are beating Malaysia and a few other match teams. I saw today, and how is Bhutan ever going to reach the League of India by playing teams like India? Hmm. That is the only way. Exactly. And, uh, you know, going ahead, do you see the ICC uh, kind of expanding the number of teams participating in the World Cup, like going in a football type style where, you know, in the World Cup, you have more teams participating. So more teams are squaring off against each other and uh, improved quality for the uh, sides? They have to. They better do that. They have to. Otherwise, what is the point in having, just having the world in the World Cup? <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Exactly. Uh, hopefully, you know, we get to see that um, in the future as well. And uh, we come to almost the end of the interview. Just a few more questions. So, what are other things you know that you're passionate about uh, besides cricket? Can be passionate outside. I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean. Even a non-cricket books. Okay. And I watch a lot of movies and I watch, I don't know, I do think, I think I read and watch movies. That is something I would say. Right. And uh, you also have such an active Twitter handle. You tweet such insightful statistics, patterns, and uh, very intuitive observations as well. So uh, I know you did answer the how do you come up part of it, you know, because you are an astute observer and everything. And you've also like, uh, you have an innate interest in history as well. But if you had to reflect on social media and its impact in your life, how do you just keep up with all the trends and everything that's just going on in the world of social media? I don't keep up with everything. There is too much happening. There's too much happens for me to keep up or for anything to anyone to keep up without losing sanity. I try to, I mean, I uh, mostly try to stay in touch with live matches and try to keep a track on what happened on that day, whether something interesting happened on that day. That is all. Like, it's, 
I write what I write. I don't think a lot before thinking. What's on cards next? Do you have any uh, exciting projects coming up? No. Uh, my my career is as exciting as the cricket calendar. If the cricket calendar is exciting. My life so it suddenly becomes exciting. <laughs> Okay, and uh, last but not the least, do you have any tips or advice for young youngsters like us who aspire to be like you? Why would anyone aspire to be like me? Raise your standards. <laughs> what? Okay. I <laughs> no, honestly, uh, respect your reader, respect your audience every time. Hmm. That is all I would like to see. <laughs> right. That you are is not. Hmm. Yeah. No. I mean. Uh, there are people brighter than you reading. Always keep that in mind. Okay, I mean, <laughs> you're being really modest here. There's obviously a lot to look up to you for, but uh, anyway, let's move on to our rapid fire round. And, 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 and never mm -hmm. disrespect a cricketer. Ah. Never disrespect a cricketer. Really do not disrespect a cricketer. I mean, it's okay to criticize a cricketer, but mm. it's not okay to be abusive. Absolutely. That is a good message and hopefully uh, our listeners can also, you know, absorb that. And that Never way. disrespect anyone, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, shall we move on to our rapid fire round? A short and sweet rapid fire round? Of course. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, which is your favorite cricket book of all time? Uh, this is a difficult one. Uh, if uh, I have to choose uh, an auto and a biography, it will mm -hmm. probably be No Coward Soul, uh, Bob Appleyard's biography by Stephen Chowdhury. And uh, if I have to choose a non biography, it will be Next Man In, Gerald Broderick's analysis and research on the history of laws of cricket. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, probably the best researched book I have read. And I mean, that level of research is beyond my scope. I know, I know this, but of course, no harm in doing. <laughs> okay, and uh, which is your favorite cricket-themed movie? This is difficult. Uh, Lagan is, uh, of course, and Lagan is something I've never seen like before or after. It's a uh, remarkable. Hmm. What do you call? Uh, but uh, it's a remarkable, it's a phenomenon. But of late, you know, I saw a, I watched a Tamil movie called the Tamil or Tamil, I'm not sure. Tana. Hmm. Okay. I really liked it. Hmm. I hope I just wanted it to become uh, more mainstream. Hmm. And uh, everything. I really liked the ball. And uh, our number, my generation likes for an entirely different reason. It is a cricket themed movie, but we would like, we love our number for entirely different reasons. It's a cult movie. Mm -hmm. It would have been equally famous had there been no cricket. Okay. And uh, your favorite cricket authors and writers? Again, I mentioned Next Man In. Uh, so, Gerald Broderick is probably my most favorite cricket writer. Stephen Chalk is another. Mm -hmm. Among Indians, I think it would be Shardagra. 
Okay. And oh, uh, when I mentioned books, I should have mentioned the fire burns too. Karunya mm -hmm. and Sarunya and Sifanta's book. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> uh, other favorite authors, David Foot is one of the ones who still write. I think Shanta uh, of course still writes. Gideon hmm. uh, Hague still writes. David Frith wrote a book last year. Again, another, what do you call it? David Frith is an institution, of course, one of the biggest. Uh, well, yeah, I think that could, I mean, it's the list changes, right? Every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, difficult to go on. Rohit Prajnath. Hmm. Uh, I haven't read a cricket piece by Rohit Prajnath in a while, but yeah, one of my favorites. Right. And uh, how would you? My co author, Arunavashyan Gupta. Oh. <laughs> Okay, and uh, how would you pitch your book to a non-cricket fan? Oh, there's a lot of non-cricket in the book and it's, because it's a lot about history and society. Mm -hmm. Okay, fair so, enough. So yeah, I mean, I can sell that part as well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, your uh, most precious cricket memorabilia? Again, uh, a good question. I think... Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Shamal, went to Australia. He got, he got me a coin, uh, oh. a limited edition coin, uh, soon after Richie Beno had passed away. He got oh. me a coin, uh, the special edition coin, the Australian mint has released after uh, Beno had passed away. I think I did trade that. I had a book on, I had a, I had Rosenwater's book on Batman. Okay. And when it, it was a secondhand book, I ordered it from, I think I've forgotten from where. Second hand book, I think, must have been from Air Books. Hmm. Uh, so it came and it had a Bradman signature inside. Wow. So, <laughs> I was really, really surprised. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, that does conclude our uh, short and sweet rapid fire round. And before we wrap up the episode, do you have any final thoughts and a message for our listeners? Just keep watching cricket and go to the ground. The moment the restrictions are lifted, mm -hmm. the moment uh, crowds can enter, go to the ground for domestic matches, go to the ground for women's matches, please. This is all I want to say. The cricketers want to see fans at the ground. Nothing motivates them more. Just go to the ground. Exactly. Hopefully, we will see uh, crowd thronging the stadiums, especially for domestic matches and women uh, women's matches. And uh, with this, we draw curtains on the episode. Thank you so much, sir, for taking you know time out of your busy schedule and uh, sharing your thoughts. It was an absolute pleasure interviewing you, and I'm sure the uh, listeners will also enjoy this episode. This was obviously a great collaboration, and I, I hope I can have you on the podcast again sometime in the future. Till then, take care and bye, sir. Amen. I'd like to thank you all for ardently supporting my blog and this podcast. It really gives me the strength and zeal to keep working and delivering quality content to you all. A heartfelt thank you. 
do check out at the rate never on the back foot on instagram and at the rate never on the back one on twitter for the latest facts trivia quizzes terminology and a lot more the podcast is also available on apple podcasts google podcast spotify anchor overcast and a lot of other platforms so please do spread the word feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions for the already published episodes and recommendations for future topics do share this episode widely and your support is really appreciated see you next time listeners cheers stay safe and take care bye for now